Hey, Songcraft listeners. Do you have a groundbreaking song that the world needs to hear? Enter it in American Songwriters 2021 Song Contest today for your chance to win promotion across American Songwriter, a co-publishing deal with Live by Live, and $10,000. Go to americansongwriter.com slash song dash contest to enter and get your songs in front of the contest judges, which include top A&R executives at Atlantic Records and BBR Music Group, as well as artists Vance Joy, Martina McBride, and Paul Stanley of KISS. Again, that's americansongwriter.com slash song dash contest to enter. And if you use the code SONGCRAFT, you'll save 10% on your entry. Welcome to SongCraft, Spotlight on Songwriters, a bi-weekly podcast featuring in-depth conversations with and about the creators of lyrics and music that stand the test of time. I'm Scott B. Bomar. And I'm Paul Duncan. Songcraft is part of the American Songwriter Podcast Network, which can be found at americansongwriter.com. To make sure you don't miss an episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our show via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also keep up with us on social media by searching for one word, Songcraft Show, or visit us at songcraftshow.com. Our guest on this episode of Songcraft is five-time Grammy nominee and 16-time Dove Award winner David Crowder. The phenomenally successful singer, songwriter, and musician in the Christian music genre has collaborated with everyone from Chris Tomlin to Emmylou Harris and has written top 10 singles such as Here Is Our King, Everything Glorious, I Am, Come As You Are, Red Letters, and Good God Almighty. Part 1 Well, Scott, more sad news uh, in the rock and roll world this week. Uh, We lost Dusty Hill of ZZ Top. Yeah, I saw that. What a bummer. Such a bummer, and uh, at the age of 72, um, and I, I feel kind of a strange connection to ZZ Top since we talked to Billy yep. um, in the early part of 2020, um, and that's around the same time that Netflix documentary had just come out, uh, and I watched it then, and I actually watched uh, part of it again this week um, after uh, learning of Dusty's passing, and it's interesting just kind of watching the way that band came together, um, you know, with kind of uh, Frank and Dusty being in different local bands, and they kind of created their own little rhythm section before they met Billy. Right. Um, but once those dudes all played together, it was kind of just from that point on, they were the three. It's it's crazy the the sound that those guys made with just yeah. <laughs> as a three piece band. I mean, they they uh, it was definitely not a sparse sound. It was no. it was very full. No, they even they, you know there are these sections in the documentary where they're kind of in there jamming, and uh, any time that that Billy kind of switched over to take a solo, that bass sound is still so fat. Oh yeah, it sounded like a guitar was still playing. Yeah, you know that, and which which I think makes some of these three pieces you know so amazing with like Rush. Yeah, you've got a guitar player that's able to go from rhythm to lead, and, and the bass player is still holding it down. Of course, Getty Lee is also playing with both feet and his elbows <laughs> and his ears. <laughs> um, but but it you know you think about these bands and these lineups um, and and some of them you know until somebody passes away there's no change in the lineup you know there yeah. were no firings and replacements in ZZ Top which is weird because bands are an inherently volatile thing oh sure you know um, and and I ZZ Top uh, you know in the lineup that we know which was the lineup from their very first album um, existed for over fifty years jeez I mean that's you know amazing to think about a band holding together for for 50 years and it probably helps that there's three guys in the band <laughs> that's that's yeah. probably where being a three-piece yeah. 
Uh, You're pretty you know, indispensable. It, yeah, it, it 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 sort of is a benefit because there's just less guys uh, for there to be drama, yeah. right? And it, there are probably bands out there that have had lineup changes, but because there are so many members, we don't even know. <laughs> right. You know, there were probably some lineup changes in, you know, the Doobie Brothers right. that might have gone undetected. Right. <laughs> undetected. <laughs> yeah, well, I was thinking about, you know, who are the bands that have um, managed to keep it together with the same lineup? No. Um, and I don't think, I could be wrong, but I don't think anybody... Um, has gone as long as as ZZ Top with the same lineup, but um, you two, yeah, um, is I think they formed in 1978 or so, or that's that's when they started with the lineup that they have now, which yeah. is the only lineup any of us really know because that's the sure. lineup that they began recording with, right? Um, Wait, which is, was, was there another lineup though? I think I think in the early days there was a couple other guys, but it might have been before they changed the name to U2. I mean, certainly the U2 we know today has yeah. kind of always yeah. been the U2 that that anyone's known. Um, but you mentioned Rush, yeah. um, and that lineup, the three man lineup that we know was established in 74. Um, and right. Neil Peart died, I think in 2020. Yeah. Um, so once again, I, I, as far as I know, and, and again, we're talking about bands that are like super well known. I'm right. sure there's like, well, I've been playing in the same band with my buddies down the street since, you know, we were 16 and now we're <laughs> 75. Like I'm sure, you know, right. but in terms of bands at a certain level, right. um, you know, Rush, U2, um, Aerosmith's been Aerosmith pretty unchanged. pretty close. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, you know, there were bands that sort of like, you know, never had lineup changes, but the bands didn't last that long. Like, mm. you think about The Police. They're a legendary band. There right. were no lineup changes. Yeah. Another trio. Yeah. But The Police did not, you know, carry on through the 90s yeah. and, and beyond. Then you think about bands for whom lineup changes sort of just seem to be the norm. Uh, Kiss was always just sort of shuttling members in and out and yeah. which is easy to do because they're covered in makeup <laughs> right it helps when you're when everyone's wearing makeup i, right. I think actually I, I believe somebody from the band slipknot passed away recently yeah. i saw in the media and you know another unfortunate uh rock death but uh, again guys that wear masks you know yeah um that, so there's a little bit of uh anonymity there um, and I think, you know, we tend to celebrate the bands that stay together with the original lineup, you know, because they've found a way to pull it together, you know, through all the arguments and the drug use and the, you know, the disputes over money and, and splits and whatever, and, and the bands still stay together. But at the same time, if, if a death is what caused a lineup change, then I think we got to give those bands the similar credit. I mean, yeah. ACDC, it wasn't their fault. Right, right, um, exactly. That Bon Scott passed away and then they, then they went and carried on, you know, with, great strength and success with yeah. Brian Johnson. Um, th then you got a band like Van Halen, which their lineup change almost can be sort of looked at as a credit because they, they were extremely successful with David Lee Roth. Right. Made a huge change to Sammy Hagar. Yeah. I mean, not just the sound of the vocals, but the types of songs changed. Right. Because Dave just sang about parties and then, you know, Sammy was like, why can't this be love? Right. And then really hit their stride with Gary Sharon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe a misstep at that point. Um, but you know, they actually went on to have more success with Sammy than they had with Dave. Yeah, which, which is, crazy. is incredible, right? Yeah. So yeah. lineup changes are not always to be you know sneezed at. Well, it it's it's uh, funny. I just the other day bought tickets because the Rolling Stones are coming here to Inglewood, California, which of course is where the world headquarters yeah. of Songcraft is located. That's why they're coming. And uh, yeah, I think that's probably had a lot to do with their tour routing. Um, but uh, I just spent uh, half of my 401k uh, to buy <laughs> um, Rolling Stones tickets and. 
that's a band that's had some lineup changes, but yeah. they've actually uh, had the lineup that they have now since 1994, which at this point is a pretty long time. It is a long so, time. So yeah. even those guys uh, have had like a much longer stable lineup than than most bands ever see. You know, and speaking of the 90s, because you mentioned 1994, I do want to give a special shout out to Boys to Men, uh, who made a huge lineup change in that they were a four-piece harmony group. Right. And they let the bass singer go and just didn't replace him. <laughs> <laughs> and now they're a three-piece. Well, and, there you go. And everything that their music was kind of based on was that, that vocal quartet. Right. And now they're a trio, and everybody's <laughs> like, cool, yeah, right. which which is pretty amazing. Well, there's a, there was an old uh, gospel group called the Fairfield Four yeah. uh, who I saw um, one time open for, I think it was Steve Earle, which was an odd uh, pairing, um, <laughs> but uh, they had five members in the band, so they oh, just awesome. ignored the fact that four was even in the name of the group. Uh, like the Ben Folds just, Five. Yeah, there you yeah. go. So, um, but yeah, you know, thinking about Dusty and thinking about some of the records that ZZ Top made, some of those seventies records are yeah. just uh, incredible. Yeah. Um, waiting on the bus with that just killer guitar lick. And then when that bass comes in, it's just like, oh man, I, have I mean, mercy. That's one of those songs that, that the louder you can turn it when you're listening to it, the better it gets. Yep. Um, so, you know, Dusty's going to be missed. Uh, ZZ Top always was known as that little old band from Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've got a Texas guy on our show here today, David Crowder, who not only shares a home state uh, with ZZ Top, but also uh, has an enormous beard. Um, <laughs> in fact, I would I would say that... that everything's uh, bigger in Texas. Everything's yeah. bigger in Texas. Well, who are the biggest beards we've had on Songcraft? Is David Crowder and Billy Gibbons. And you. And me. Yeah. So yeah, I think uh, David Crowder, Billy Gibbons, Scott Bomar... Uh, the guys with the three biggest beards that have ever been a part of Songcraft. <laughs> wow. Well, that's that's something. Yeah. You know? I mean, I, I knew that I would somehow find a way to align myself with these guys. Yeah. And, well. uh, and, and there it is. Um, so David Crowder is a, a huge artist in the Christian music world. And if... Um, you, the listener, uh, listen to Christian music. You know exactly what I'm talking about. If you're not as uh, well-versed in the, the Christian music market... Um, uh, I want to give a little background here, and and this involves you, Paul, because oh. you um, have had a good bit of songwriting success in multiple genres, uh, including the the Christian music genre. And um, one of the artists that you've worked with is is named Lauren Daigle. Yes, and um, Lauren Daigle is huge. She's you know incredible singer, amazing artist, and uh, there's a song called "You Say," and even if you don't listen to Christian music, you probably heard this song because it hopped over to the pop charts. I yeah. mean, it became ubiquitous. Fantastic and song. And I did not write that song. And you did not write that song. Um, unfortunately, I, yeah. <laughs> I wish you had um, because then you would take me to lunch every week when we do this. Um, but you did write uh, co-write four songs on Lauren's album, which you say is, is on. Um, but you say hit number one on Billboard's Hot Christian Songs chart uh, on July 28th, 2018. So we're talking three years ago now. Yeah. Uh, that's when it hit number one uh, on that chart. Uh, it stayed there for 23 consecutive weeks. It got bumped off for one week by Lauren herself with a different song. <laughs> it came back on for 42 more consecutive weeks. It popped off again, uh, oddly, with a Kanye West song yeah. um, for, for a few weeks. But then it, it came back and um, you say hit number one again on January 4th, 2020. And ever since that time, you know, 
there'll be a song that'll come along and maybe a week or two it'll, you know, it's the dark side of the moon. It is the dark side of the moon of of Christian music. So uh, basically it always keeps coming back to you say, and it, and it has for, you know, a total of 131 weeks now that you say has been at number one, which is insane. Um, But on April 24th of this year, David Crowder, who performs just under the name Crowder. Yeah. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about that in our interview. Uh, he hit number one for a week with Good God Almighty. Yeah. And fantastic song. That's his his uh, his most recent single. Um, then Lauren came back with You Say mm. for four more weeks. Wow. And then Crowder returned with another week for, with Good God Almighty. Then Lauren came back, but not this time with You Say. This time it was Hold On To Me. Ah. Hold On To Me is a song that you co-wrote. That's true. So what happened is that Lauren knocked herself out of the number one position <laughs> uh, with Hold On To Me. And then the following week, it was You Say Again. Then Crowder came in again, wow. back with Good God Almighty. And there's been this little thing going on where it's been going from Hold On To Me by Lauren, You Say, Good God Almighty. And then you and Crowder are kind of battling each other, I think. And, and I realized that when we had... Uh, Dan Nigro on the show, the week that we interviewed him, your song was number one on the iTunes uh, chart and, and you bumped out driver's license by Olivia Rodrigo, which Dan Nigro wrote with her. So you were like in this number one iTunes battle with Dan Nigro the same week that we talked to him. Now here we are talking to Crowder. You guys are back and forth trading number one on the hot Christian songs chart. I am thinking that perhaps this is a liability that, that guests (laughs) who come on this show are being challenged by you. I first of all, <laughs> I, I have to point out that you know way more about this than I do. Um, I also think I need more about David Crowder's chart positions than he did than based he did. on the interview. <laughs> so you know, somebody has to be the nerd. The, the fate of the researcher. Um, <laughs> yeah, when you were reading all that, I kind of I, I kept hearing like the the boxing ring bells, you know, like it, it, <laughs> in a Rocky montage. Um, I, all I can say is it's to to be talked about in the same breath as these artists and these songs is just kind of mind-blowing to me and also and, and to have the words number one thrown around in context with the music i'm a part of is also sort of mind-blowing so uh i mean i sat there talking to david just feeling like th- this is a legend that, I'm, that legend. I'm talking to uh and so i, I you know the, the idea that we could be sort of occupying the same chart air is <laughs> is a little nuts um yeah so yeah i mean I have, I have no response yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you are you are dumbfounded. Yes, I am. And and I will say that uh, as of this week, as as we record this right now, you say is back at number one yet again. And, and you and David uh, with hold on to me and good God Almighty right on there again. It's like, dang it. I mean, come on, Lauren. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna dominate the chart from everybody for four years, it's, five years. How it's long? It's Dark is this Side of the go? Moon. It's Rumors. It's Thriller. I mean, <laughs> it's all that, those. That things. song is. It's and it's an unbelievable song. It, it deserves everything it gets. But it's incredible to keep seeing it pop up there. It is amazing. It is absolutely amazing. And I will also say that Good God Almighty is, is an amazing song, and yeah. Hold On to Me is an amazing song. So you and David and Lauren deserve uh, all of the uh, the attention uh, that you guys are getting. And uh, you know, I think it's just um, cool to to see all of this kind of happening at the well, same time. It's funny how it's sort of all come together. I'm going to find a way to take David out to, to lunch or dinner next time I go to Nashville. There you go. And, and we'll celebrate together. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you'll split the bill because you, you both have that number one money. <laughs> there we go. Um, <laughs> uh, so 
real quick before we jump into this, because you are much more well-versed in the, the Christian music uh, industry, there's a few things that we talk about. Um, David mentions CCLI. Yeah. So what is CCLI? CCLI is Christian Copyright Licensing uh, International, I think, uh, Institute. Uh, interest (laughs) inversion something it it has to do with um, when songs are used in churches it's how they kind of manage the copyrights and the churches sort of pay into this this broad system that compensates writers for having their uh, music used in churches yeah yeah so he he talks about that he also mentions of the wesley's when we're talking about uh hymns which uh, i'm assuming is is john wesley and charles wesley yes um and and not Wesley Snipes. Yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, John and Charles Wesley, and that, that I believe is also their original lineup. <laughs> <laughs> I think unchanged. Yeah, yeah. We forgot to mention them. Decades, um, and, and then uh, he also talks a bit about uh, Maverick City. Um, yeah, Maverick yeah. City is just kind of like a worship movement um, that's been coming out with some really great, great new worship music over the last couple of years. I think collective might even be a collective a a collective. I like that. Yeah. I like that word. So, uh, anyway, we've been yakking a lot today, but a lot of important stuff to talk yeah. about, you know, from, from band lineups to, to beards, to collectives. <laughs> um, so, uh, with all that out of the way, um, let's check out this conversation with David Crowder. Part two. David Crowder is a phenomenally successful singer, songwriter, and musician in Christian music. He first rose to prominence with the David Crowder Band, which introduced church communities to songs such as Oh Praise Him, Here Is Our King, and How He Loves, which has earned nearly 60 million streams on Spotify. The five-time Grammy nominee began a genre-bending solo career under the mononymous stage name Crowder in 2012 and has released four albums and a string of top ten singles including I Am, Come As You Are, Forgiven, All My Hope, Red Letters, and Let It Rain. Other staples from the Crowder songbook include Open Skies, Everything Glorious, This I Know, and I'm Leaning on You. Crowder has collaborated with a range of artists, including Chris Tomlin, Taryn Wells, Riley Clemens, Maverick City Music, Marty Stewart, and Emmylou Harris, and has earned 16 GMA Dove Awards. His most recent album, Milk and Honey, hit number one on the U.S. Christian charts, and the lead single, Good God Almighty, became his first song to hit number one on all four Billboard Christian music charts. David, welcome to Songcraft. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Like this is great. Y'all talk to legends, man. I'm not. I'm not. I know what you're doing. Y'all talk to legends. <laughs> cool, been, cool. Yeah, I know what you're up to. Great to speak with you. Um, you've got a, a new album out. It's your fourth album as a solo artist called Milk and Honey, um, and you've got uh, a lead single um, called Good God Almighty, which. I believe is your first single. I couldn't believe this, but your first single that actually went to number one on all the Billboard Christian charts. And you have had a, you know, hugely long career in in Christian music. And I thought, how is that possible? <laughs> I've been at it a while. I don't yeah. know. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> I get Tell me, is he God? He's God. He is good. 
talk about this this moment for you and having had you know the success that you've had uh, well over a dozen Dove Awards I think uh, around a half dozen Grammy nominations I mean you you've certainly gotten the the industry recognition but even after the all the successful songs that people could rattle off that you've put out there what does it feel like to kind of achieve that new milestone even at this point in a long career <laughs> I've always like considered myself like not an artist to start there is like I always feel like I'm like more of a, a artisan like I, I I serve a function and so it, it hasn't it, it hasn't been like mysterious that I am not killing it at radio all the time if that makes <laughs> sense it's like right. it's more mysterious that okay during this season that we've just been through uh, so uh, I should rewind uh, most of my records have been made while I'm on the road. And now mm. I was forced to be home and like maybe I had more time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Huh. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I love it in a sense that it's like I I feel like I we all serve a purpose, you know, like we um, I get to do what I do. But as I said, feeling like a craftsman or an artisan more in a sense of like, how can I function? How can I be helpful? is how it feels. Mm. And so that it works is like super great, but it's not like completely validating, you know? It's like, mm. this is cool, but like I still know I'm kind of like in a niche over here and I'm supposed to serve a role. And, and I've been trying to trying to figure out how to do that best the whole time. And uh -huh. kind of kind of the whole spiel right there. Yeah, yeah. Well, we, we started with, you know, this most recent album and the most recent single, but I'd like to take you all the way back to where you were born and where you grew up. I'd love to know about what, what was some of the first music that you heard in that environment that was formative for you? Um, I make this joke all the time, but it was, uh, my dad had this old Thunderbird, not like the cool old Thunderbird, when I say that. <laughs> You have one in your mind that's not it. It's the one that's in the eighties and it like has the lights that flip up. It looks like a Lincoln Mark Four or whatever that thing was too. They all had like it was like a floating kind of like impala type boat situation, but it was a car and it had an eight track player and I promise there were like four eight tracks that were in rotation. A a Willie Nelson situation an Elvis situation, a Bill Gaither situation, and an Olivia, Olivia Newton-John situation. Oh my God, and, this is my parents' car. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, and also, I'm like, everything I've ever done musically is, that's it. It explains everything. You're like, what's he up to? He seems like so like scattered. <laughs> it's like, no, this is his parents' fault. It's obviously his parents' fault. They were kind of confused as listeners. And uh, so is that's that a right hopelessly there, devoted Olivia Newton-John or a twist of fate Olivia Newton-John? <laughs> <laughs> that you know that? Oh, oh. my <laughs> word! Goodness. Um, the better part of that is that my favorite Bill Gaither song that was on whatever eight track that was that was the Bill Gaither eight track um, was "Cattle on a Thousand Hills," and I was super into cows at the time. I'm like, <laughs> so like. God has like thousands of cows, but as like, Sh sure, super, he does. He's got all the cows. Like this guy's amazing. Like I like God a lot because he's got all the cows <laughs> and like, all the I'm hills, in. all the all the cows and all the hills. I'm like this dude's amazing. <laughs> that's that's great. I hear I hear a new title taking taking shape right now. All the cows. <laughs> got, who's got all the cows? Um. 
Well, so I understand you went to college at uh, Baylor and you were involved in uh, forming a kind of a church there where you became the the worship leader. And um, I'm curious if your songwriting kind of sprang out of necessity, so to speak, in terms of writing songs for that congregation to sing, or if you had already been kind of trying your hand at, at writing before that point. Um, you know, that's a great question. It, in my mind and how I would typically tell the story would be that, no, I didn't, I was not a songwriter before I was asked to be a part of this church start. And I, I was struggling trying to find songs that fit a collegiate environment. Um, and, and so I, I went back to hymns mostly and would like repackage them in a, in a new musical, um, setting. Um, but I I I did go to camp as a I was like I went I went off to summer camp one year and I wrote a song and it was my first song I ever wrote and it was the it was the name of the girl that I thought I should be with forever. <laughs> it's the worst song ever. It's like oh it was terrible. So I I I I love music and so you're gonna eventually get into um, wanting to create your own stuff I would think you know and. And I, I promise I was like the worst craftsman ever at it. Like it, mm. it, they were just terrible until I understood. I don't, I don't think it was until I was a part of this church start and, and was trying to carry these ancient songs that were so poetic and, and just, as I said, repackage them in a way that, that the musical setting fit more of what that college experience is. Everybody's listening to college radio. Like how can these things that have been well vetted uh, have a life? And and so I I feel like I learned a lot um, looking backwards because uh, hmm. I wasn't I didn't have any I had no skills at all that did the worst you huh. know um, and so I think it was uh, having examined hymns then I started trying to think about well I think I've played out of the five hundred that are in the hymnal most of the ones that we all like right. uh, over and over we've got to say something for our particular um, organic situation in Waco, Texas at the time. So hmm. that's really kind of how I got it writing. You know, it's interesting. We talked to a lot of writers and artists about the concept of workshopping songs on the road and, and how what, what touring does right. to your writing and, and seeing an audience respond. And I'm just now thinking, you know, for you, even before you ever had a chance to tour, you had an audience and you could see the way songs were landing and the way people were reacting. And when you're leading for a cons consistently for a church group, it's an audience that you actually get to interact with week after week, and you can sort of see. I imagine that must have been really sort of helpful in saying, "Hey, this works," and this this type of imagery connects, and you know, and building your writing further that way. That is that's a as very astute. Uh, it also is really complicated though too, because it's not like it's not a fan situation. It's right. more of a communal situation. Like you're living life with these people, so it's like, did I say? what last month was for us in a really way in a way you can identify with mm -hmm. rather than hey i'm a super fan of this guy anything he writes i love you know right. it's like no did i express what what october looked like as we went on a journey of life together mm -hmm. and and that that gets really also though um yeah, i say this all the time and so you probably read it or or heard it before, but it's like, it's very Jimmy Buffett. Like to me, church music is very Jimmy Buffett in the sense that <laughs> you've always got to take people to the ocean and it's got to feel like it's the first time you've ever seen 
or thought about a flip-flop wow. in that way. You know, it's wow. like, it's got to <laughs> feel new because um, it's the same story over and over and over. And it's difficult when you're trying to intersect your relationships that we all, um, the point, and this is the craftsman part of it or, or the artisan part. Of it, it's like, I'm trying to help us build a house together. And mm. so what's the molding look like? Like, can is this functional? Like, does this work? Can we yeah. live in it? And and that part is really complicated to me. Well, there's, you know, unlike my, my co-host Paul here, I've not really ever attempted to write a, a Christian song. Um, but I would imagine <laughs> there is a, you know, with any type of writing, whether you're writing a love song or whatever, you're trying to find yeah. a new way to say something that connects with people in a way that's relatable. When you're doing that in a setting that involves um, a church community, you're trying to find a new way to say something, but you also are kind of playing around with people's most deep-seated <laughs> totally. beliefs, right? <laughs> yes. So, Dude, that freaks me out so much. Don't get too fresh. Right. If somebody doesn't like it, they might yeah. get really mad because yeah. you're, you're talking about their deepest, their deepest selves. So the pressure is kind of on there as a writer in a way that I don't think people in other genres have to worry about. Okay, I didn't see you going there, and now that just makes me more nervous. That's good. <laughs> um, <laughs> I always, I always, I've always felt like music is so manipulative. It, like it gets below, you know, like how how music and social movements like are are just completely entwined. You know, like there's a soundtrack to everything that shifts um, in humanity. And sociologists call it like cognitive praxis. Like if you can get past what you're what you're able to discuss or 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 say out loud intellectually if you can just get the hand if you can get to the heart you can make the hand move mm-hmm. and and that is terrifying to me when it comes to like oh we're going to I'm about to sing a song it's going to feel super mushy and you're going to cry <laughs> and it's also going to change the way you think about God <laughs> like that's like <laughs> terrified that's right. the worst and so <laughs> there, there's there's I think a distance that is healthy in terms of like I, I said where I, I, I feel like I cut my teeth on how do you do this well is is in old ancient hymns mm-hmm. and I just call them like good songs that have lasted like the reason they're in a hymnal is because those songs have have been uh, fully vetted, and a lot of songs have been discarded over the way. You know, there's <laughs> a lot of songs that were written over those same time periods, but they didn't make the cut. And I think it's there's a there's also a distance and a um, uh, a reverence in the approach to how you're gonna do stuff that I've tried to figure out. And yeah, and a lot of it's language based. You know, I don't know. It's interesting that you've mentioned the the hymns um, a couple of times because you know, fast forwarding a little bit, um, you know, in addition to a local worship leader at a church, you now have the David Crowder band as we get into the early 2000s. And you guys are out there on the road. You're you're putting out records and uh, your 2003 album Illuminate had Oh Praise Him on it, which was uh, your first charting single as a as a songwriter and, and artist. And um I listen to a song like that and I think, okay, that was early 2000s. I kind of grew up in the 90s where praise music was a verse and a chorus, maybe a verse, a chorus, and another verse. But we begin getting into an era, and, and you are one of the people who I really pinpoint as as doing this, 
where you see a traditional kind of pop song structure. We have verse, verse, chorus, verse, bridge, maybe repeat the bridge again, go back to the chorus, or maybe there's even a variation <laughs> on the bridge. It's like, it's a much more expanded palette than what praise music was when, you know, when I was a kid and it was like, Lord, I lift your name like on majesty. high. And yeah. It's just like a, yeah. a chorus, you know? Um, and I'm, I'm curious if you were kind of conscious of that, shift in praise music at all and if so if if kind of your having delved so deeply into the lyrical depths of all these old hymns kind of influenced you in that way <laughs> man that's so fun to hear that question um um <laughs> it's british pop music like thank you you too thank you bono thank you the edge for the dotted eighth <laughs> like <Yeah>. like <laughs> all of it super went like everything there was a big shift when all of a sudden um church music in a real way um, at the time uh, was like basically just British rock model with like U2 Coldplay and and everything kind of got stuck there but it was a it was a true pop song structure you know um, the funny thing about the praise, oh, praise him reference is at the time I was super into the number seven and I would split things up into threes and four. And so I think that I, that song would have been, you said it's the first one that like charted or something. I don't know how you said it, but that's kind of interesting because everybody was grabbing, like we don't know when to come into the chorus. Cause there's like a, a, a drop three bar. And I, I was just trying to insert a three bar to to create a numeral seven. Right. So Interesting. I, I still think I no, I was young and like, I don't know, this is going to be meaningful to me. And it just like totally is like a, I'm always shooting myself in the foot. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> so even back then I'm like, that would have been a huge song if you were just like, you know, stuck to a, a decent pre-chorus of being great. <laughs> if you could have done that, it'd have been awesome. This <laughs> so Oh, how infinitely sweet This great love that has redeemed As one we sing Hallelujah Hallelujah He is holy but you're right. It was it was a huge leap when all of a sudden it wasn't just like a a I think you you said it right like a praise chorus where we're gonna repeat this same thing over and over. But it turned into like a a decent song structure. I think it was a while though before um, things started getting very creative as far as uh, lyric development. You know, like we're gonna tell a story with the song, or it's gonna instead of just these meta things we're gonna sing over and over. There are statements that we uh, would like to, you know, say aloud as a sort of liturgy. Um, I think that took a while before it started becoming more storytelling. Yeah. Um, so you know, we move on to the 2005 A Collision record. Um, you know, we now we've got an album that's in the top 40 on the Billboard 200. So we're not just talking about the the Christian genre at this point. We're talking about something that has that has crossed over, and you know, the mainstream is having to recognize the success of these records. A song like Here's Our King, which got you a Dove Award for Rock Contemporary Song of the Year. Here is our king. Here is our Yeah. 
My question here is, we're starting to see something that we normally call fame. <laughs> and, and those type of words when we're in Christian circles feel like, you know, oh, I don't, I don't want to say fame or, you know, but that's, that's what it is. It's reputation. It's, you know, your music is becoming known. Um, was there a conflict for you in, in an inner sense um, you know, you're writing worship music and, and we're trying so hard to point to God with the music, but there's a tension coming to me and the band. Um, how, how did you deal with all that? So first of all, that like kind of blows my mind that uh, what you, whatever you said about the billboard thing, like I had no idea. Like, I don't, <laughs> so it didn't affect you at all until you found out right now. I don't know if you've ever been to Waco, Texas or met my wife. Like, <laughs> no, <laughs> like there is no d- delusion here of, of who you're dealing with. Like, it's like, um, no, I, 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 so for me, it's more about, uh, what I love about that album. It's probably one of my, it's definitely my favorite album that we made, um, as that band. And that band was just, it was just a bunch of college guys helping with the church. It was like that band formed because we were just the church band, which is crazy to me. Um, but that band, that, that album, um, I think of all of my, um, uh, when you sign with the label, I've been signing three record deal, like a, a mm. three record cycle of, of commitment. And I always think about them as on the first album, try to throw the door open wide on the second one. Uh, try to develop what you just uh, learned, and then on the third one, just don't care about anything. <laughs> and so, <laughs> I love that that album has been one that that folks that have followed what we've been up to, at, at you know back then at the church as a church man trying to figure out how you how you construct songs and how you construct a a, um, a collection of them in a way that um, reflects what life we've been through. Uh, that that's still one of my favorite albums. You know, I I, I have this theory that's half baked at best, and I don't even know that I have a question here, but I'm just going to start talking. Okay, let's we'll, hear it. We'll see what spills <laughs> I like out. it already. Yeah, <laughs> I'm in. You know, I I think about songs like "Oh Praise Him" uh, or "Here Is Our King" or "Everything Glorious" off the 2007 Remedy album, and I got to tell you, I I heard these songs first at church. So I didn't mm. learn these songs by hearing you sing them. The I learned album, these songs right, totally. by hearing other people sing them. And I guess my kind of theory is that worship music is the last real folk music in the sense that uh, there is a yep. commercial strain of it, you know, that is heard on the radio, but probably the just as many people who hear it on the radio, there's that same number of people where it's oral tradition, you know, it's it's like the last type of American songwriting that is still passed around orally because there's no other genre where you're like, dude, I'm nerding out, I'm nerding out with you on this. <laughs> right? That's the deal, I mean, dude. I mean, I've been saying this like forever. <laughs> like it's like because like the the best example of this to me is Chris Tomlin. Like yeah. everybody, you know, I, I know it's been said a bunch, but like time magazines writing articles about this dude's songs are sung more than happy birthday like right like right. can you get more ubiquitous than happy birthday <laughs> right. And, uh, <laughs> right right but nobody knows whose songs they are that's totally folk 
music. Yeah, it's like Pete Seeger. Or... Yeah, nobody goes, yeah. hey, have you heard the new Bruno Mars single? Nah, man, but my friend sang it to me and I heard that version <laughs> and I really liked it. Like, exactly. Yeah. That doesn't happen. That's still, you're right. Like, it's, uh... Yeah, so I don't know. I just have this this kind of theory of like you know worship music as the, as the wow. song, the last true folk music. <laughs> I, I honestly had perfect. thought that karaoke was kind of the last vehicle for folk music, honestly, <laughs> because that's like well, a, if you, you know, think about it though, I've, this is another theory I have in line with this is like it's basically large group karaoke. We're gonna put the words on the right, screen, right? And, you know, and we're gonna <laughs> sing along together. It's like yeah. large group karaoke. It's, it's Jesus karaoke. It's just a super sober early morning version of it. <laughs> but yes. I don't know where you go to church. That's not how we do it. <laughs> yeah, we gotta get them night services going. <laughs> Sorry. Um, well, you know, I, I want to ask you a question about um, your version of How He Loves. I'm sure you've been asked this a number of times, but, you know, there was a, a conspicuous lyric change um, from Heaven Meets Earth Like a Sloppy Wet Kiss, and then you, with permission, um, changed that to Heaven Meets Earth Like an Unforeseen Kiss. And heaven meets earth like an unforeseen kiss And my heart turns personally am one of the worship leaders at the time that would have had a hard time delivering sloppy wet kiss <laughs> to my congregation and so i appreciated the change um and um did you sort of see that coming like or or did you play it and somebody said bro you, you, you can't sing that line again okay or what, you know? see i feel like this is judgmental what you're how you're setting this up it feels like you, no i'm not you, i'm just i'm you're, just, no, I'm, you're asking I'm me about personal preferences and like it feels like i'm gonna okay so i didn't even notice the line it did not stick out to me at all huh. and I, like i had listened to the song um a friend of mine who lives in Atlanta, Georgia, which is where I'm based now. But a friend of mine who leads at a church in town, um, he's like, I've made a record, and and uh, I'm listening to his album on a plane ride, and I get to this song. It's like I, I had no context for, didn't know John Mark, Mark McMillan or any, first time I've heard the song. And the song's been out by the time I hear it, probably two, maybe three years, I don't know. And, and I hear it, and man, I'm like weeping. Mm. You know, it's a very confined social situation on a plane flight and I'm like next to some random dude and I'm like weeping. I'm like, oh my gosh. So I, I grab the band after we land. I'm like, y'all got to hear this song, man. It's like, it's intense, dude. This is great. It's like very simple. And the version I heard didn't have John Marks. Um, he has a third verse that's him talking about his his youth minister that died like it's got the words like Stephen died in it like it's like wow. super personal John Mark after I've tracked him down and figure out who the dude is and why the song came to be he's like that's not a church song that's like my youth minister friend who like shaped who I am died and I'm trying to deal with it and it's like way personal I don't even know how it wound up in the church but my guitar player uh, goes that's the grossest song I've ever heard I'm like, what? Uh, he goes, like, heaven meets earth like a sloppy wet kiss. It's like 
what are we in junior high or like trying to hug your puppy? Like, I don't know. <laughs> That's not something I'm going to be like super. I'm like, so you didn't feel anything. He's like, I mean, it's cool. Well, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, Oh my gosh. So I, we're headed home after we were playing somewhere in Denver. I think it is. And then we fly back for church and I'm like, we're doing this song. I don't care. We're doing it Sunday morning. And so I do it. And, and in disagreement and, and sort of defiance of, the guitar player and, and i'm telling you it is a it's a watershed event it's like a it's 50 percent of the room is like that is the best song that has ever been played right. in all of church music and also my favorite line ever in any music is heaven means like a sloppy but gets and then Another fifty percent is like, if you ever play that song again, I'm sorry, me and my kids are going elsewhere. We're not going to be here anymore because that's like disgusting. You know what I'm saying? We can't be singing that in church on Sunday morning. <laughs> I'm like, okay, but I had no clue, and so I did some research, and sure enough, the song had already, it had already kind of cycled through the more charismatic settings. So like checking out like CCLI um, royalty stuff. Like where's where has this been? Um, uh, ubiquitous in what places has it been and it's like everybody no it, it's this one line is like preventing this thing from getting out and and so I hollered at John Mark and I was like hey man you don't know me uh, I would love to do this song but there's apparently this lyric that people associate with junior high and <laughs> their first date and we got to can we get rid of it? He's like, no, it's got to stay. And I'm like, wow. dang, well, can you pray about it for a little bit? And so, <laughs> that's literally <laughs> the worst, that's the worst conversation ever. Can you pray about it? And so he comes back. And he's like, he's like, I prayed about it, and and, and uh, my friends are going to totally annihilate me. And I go, don't worry about your friends. Blame me for everything. And I did this whole thing, and it's just on me, and just – You'll you'll be fine, and so anyway, we changed the lyrics, <laughs> man, and it, and it got out further. The, the way you're talking about that divide is is really accurate, though. I mean, it, I remember at our church we had two versions of it in in PowerPoint. You know, depending on who was leading, it's like, well, do you want to sing the kiss line or not? Do you want to sing the un, <laughs> the unforeseen kiss or the sloppy wet kiss? Which would you rather do? And it's at, at the same time, I, I would defend his right to put that line in the song. You know, oh, all the way to the one thousand percent. You know, go read Song of Solomon and and tell me there aren't some things in there that make you a tad uncomfortable. Um, well, you know, the thing I mean, that was interesting to me, and this is where I think y'all would appreciate the conflict, is is that what you're trying to say is okay. I'm writing I'm writing a song that's very personal, and it it is attributing things to the activity of God. How does He interact with us, and how does He how did how did my youth minister die in such a horrific way and 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 I'm going to now use a metaphor that is as if it were haphazard a sloppy wet kiss is that beautiful intersection between the divine and the created which I'm like that's gorgeous so I can mm. appreciate everyone everyone going that's like one of the more beautiful lines that I've ever heard in a in a song that we can sing together in church and go it doesn't make sense to me like how how this interaction works doesn't make sense it feels like haphazard and sloppy at times but it's a kiss which is so intimate right and then at the same time you have other people that can't see past that being the metaphor and i think the wesley's 
said it really well. They're like, if you if you want to write a a song for the church to sing together, then you're going to have to vet metaphors in a way that are are the most understandable. Like there's mm-hmm. a lot of beautiful metaphors that you can come up with, but some of them are going to leave others behind and it would be better to leave those metaphors behind and have mm-hmm. everyone come with you than than, you know, be more like an artist. And but for John Mark, he was being an artist and was just saying what was true and and real at the time. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's a there's a phrase I remember hearing, you know, in country lyric writing was show me don't tell me. Meaning, you know, use an image whenever possible. If you can, if you can say it with a metaphor, don't just tell me what happened. Use a metaphor. And at times, I think when when communication is at such a high premium with this type of music, sometimes you have to say, "Well, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna make sure that I'm telling you," you know, at, mm. at the expense sometimes of showing you. I guess that's well said. Hey, song crafters! A quick mid-show break to tell you about the fourth annual St. Augustine Songwriters Festival. It's coming up in St. Augustine, Florida, from Friday, October twenty-second through Sunday, October twenty-fourth, twenty twenty-one. There's going to be three venues down there in St. Augustine, featuring a whole bunch of Nashville songwriters. I'm talking about people like Mark Beeson, who won both the Country and Pop Song of the Year from ASCAP for "When She Cries" and, and wrote Billy Currington's number one single, "We Are Tonight." Uh, Mark Irwin, who wrote Alan Jackson's Here in the Real World, as well as number ones like How We Don't Care for Tim McGraw and Blake Shelton's Neon Light. You're also going to get a chance to hear Bobby Pinson, who had four number ones for Toby Keith and four number ones for Sugarland, and was named BMI Songwriter of the Year in 2009. Uh, James LeBlanc, uh, who wrote Modern Day Bonnie and Clyde for Travis Tritt, Relentless for Jason Aldean and Gary Allen's Learning How to Bend. Uh, Justin Wilson, who wrote Drunk Me by Mitchell Tenpenny and We Went by Randy Hauser. And Tommy Cecil, who uh, wrote Jake Owens, I Was Jack, You Were Diane, and Home Alone Tonight by Luke Bryan and Karen Fairchild. That's really just the tip of the iceberg, too. You can go on to staugustinesongwritersfestival.com to see some of the other writers who are going to be performing. It's a great lineup, so uh, whether you live in Florida or thinking about making a little road trip, we want to encourage you to check out the St. Augustine Songwriters Festival. Once again, that's staugustinesongwritersfestival.com. Well, in... 2014 you released your debut solo album neon steeple and and there was some major songs like on there like i am which was the top five single um come as you are and since you don't seem to be uh, particularly uh, aware of your past successes as we <laughs> laid them out i'm gonna tell you that song tell has me, tell 41, me how amazing <laughs> that song has 41 million plays on spotify um, is, which on. is that's a lot of people that have, have listened to that song. So it's mostly I, I my mom. Like... It's mostly my mom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she, she loves she, that song. She <laughs> loves that. If your mom just has it on repeat with like twelve computers all the time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so lay down your wounds. Lay down your You know, we see this kind of, uh, I, I would say the the 
you know, profile of some of these songs raised even even further as you sort of transitioned out of the David Crowder band to the artist simply known as Crowder. Um, and as as someone who is not familiar with the details, I guess I'm curious, uh, you know, to my mind, if you're in a band that has the name of the guy, like, like, <laughs> I don't feel like Dave Matthews is being like super held back by being in a Dave Matthews band. And if he could just become Dave Matthews, you know, then like, <laughs> then he could shine. Like what, 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 why the transition That's from so a band to a solo artist? <laughs> okay. <laughs> That is hilarious. Um, that's and it's a perfectly fitting uh, analogy because that was what happened. Kind of is like I was in college and we're we're this band that's playing at this church, and then people started calling like the kid, you know, college kids would go home over the Christmas break or the summer break, and they'd go back to their churches back where they were. For some reason, they it feels like. I mean, we're in Waco, Texas, at Baylor University, but it feels like there's an unusual amount of people. In California, that, that went back home, and we would get these calls for from California, like, "Hey, can y'all come lead at such and such thing and do this like music thing?" And so I'm like, "I don't know if we can. Like, what does that what does that mean? Like, what does that look like?" And so we started traveling, and I felt like, you know, here's a good here's a good summary. My wife's sister, who doesn't have a lot of church context at the time, um, was was trying to describe. Uh, over at, over Thanksgiving dinner, um, one time, like uh, her husband's family asked, like, "So what? What do you? What do you, uh, David and and your sister do for a living?" And she's like, "I think they're missionaries to California." <laughs> 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 like, that was the best, but it was just I don't know. We had some we had some college kids that were going back home out that out west, and we're like, "Hey, can you come?" play music for this or that and it sort of started growing from that uh side of things and for me the whole time it was like i i don't see myself just like constructing music uh, outside of what this feels and looks like organically so to shift from (laughs) it well we got called david crowder band because it was like i was a guy david crowder and he's got a van in there from waco and like that's who's playing here you know and so it was it was very organic in that sense um and at the time there's the dave matthews band in exactly so it was like oh i guess they're trying to be the christian it's like no we didn't (laughs) we didn't get to have the band meeting where we came up with like a cool band name and now (laughs) When I'm going solo, I'm like, well, crap. Like, you've already stolen. Like, my, like we can't even use my name. Like, what am I going to do? So we just went with the uh, uh, the last, you know, name. And it's like, it feels more athletic anyway. And that's what they, you know, if you're, you know, it's like, like a coach. You're an athletic team. It's like, hey, they always, it's always the last name. And it's like, it makes me feel athletic. And also people have more uh, going on in life. And so the syllables are less, but. It's still it was it was a bizarre thing to go, okay, so this era of life is is come to a you know, full stop at the end of the sentence. Like what are what's next? And and um I didn't know. I didn't know if it was gonna be music or not. And and immediately not immediately <laughs> immediately being two or three years, it was <laughs> like, Okay, I think I'm still I think I still wanna I, you know, okay, here's the deal. If you're part of a church community and you, you want to be helpful, like if, if Wednesday nights is like potluck and you're like, hey, can somebody b- bring a casserole? <laughs> and you're not going to call me for that because <laughs> it's going to be terrible. <laughs> but I can help 
with the music and it felt apparent that I can still help with the music and mm-hmm. that's what feels very satis- uh, very satisfying. Um, in the same way I would suspect someone who brings that casserole dish, I'm thinking of the green beans with the little crunchy on top and the cheese. I'm thinking they know this is what I was supposed to do on a Wednesday night and I feel like right, I'm serving right. people well. And, you know, looking back, I mean, obviously the successes continued with those solo records. There was no let up. Um, But I wonder at the time when it came to how it felt to begin creating for, you know, a solo project after having been involved with a high profile band project. I feel like the needle could have landed on on one of two sides. One would be the the freedom side. Like, okay, it's it's all kind of on me now. Just whatever I kind of want to write and however I want to do it. Or it could land on the pressure side, like I've really got to prove that this is going to work. I've I've sort of stepped out from the band. <laughs> you know, where did the needle land for you? Was it more more on the pressure side or more on the freedom side? You know, um, that's great. I haven't even thought of it that way. Um, to me, it was more like, am I supposed to be doing this still? You know, and so then it was like, well, I I think I'm supposed to be doing this still, and I think that's the best thing when you when you know when you know you're in your lane and you're doing what you're supposed to be doing and like how you've been put together to do. Um, I had initially, um, when I wasn't like worried about like, eh, I, I don't have a contract or anything. I started writing a bunch of country songs and, hmm. and what was cool to me is, uh, they came, they felt really fun and funny and I would play them for friends and stuff. And, uh, but it, it never felt sad. It never felt like this is what you're made to do. It, it hmm. and then when I started, writing to help out um, back again with like church formation. It was like, ah, this is why I'm put together this way. And so I don't ever, I don't think I, the hardest part about it to me was what's the sound of it? Like what is, you know, we're very, very eclectic as the, uh, you know, in, in the collegiate setting, in the David Crowder Asterisk Band was very eclectic as far as our, our musical inclinations would lean. But I was like, what is what is the sound of what now you just get to make without anybody else? Like, there's not five other voices in the room telling you what it's supposed to sound like. Right. That mm-hmm. part was was the most confusing on the front end. Like, I I knew what the other felt like and how it it, it how you could construct a song because everybody brought their voice to it, and then it felt like, oh, now I've got to have the vision for for what what this idea that I'm trying to enunciate what what's the setting what's the musical setting for it and um and and what made it really simple to me was what are your favorite things and let's try to put them all in the same space at the same time and hmm. work that out and so at the time yeah. it was blue, bluegrass music and EDM <laughs> <laughs> as as one gravitates toward <laughs> um <laughs> you know after um, your second solo album, American Prodigal, and, and a huge number one non-album single with All My Hope, um, you put out your third solo release, I Know a Ghost. Now to turn this house into a home is the only thing that rattles bones. He went to hell and back to leave us his own. Now I know a ghost. Now I know it 
Um, I'm going to make this uh, a little personal because I have to confess I don't really listen to uh, Christian music. I'm I'm one of the people that for me it's it's the folk music experience where I hear it in church, and my wife is the band leader at our church, so my wife is my um, she's my connection point to to any new Christian music that comes out. But uh, I got in her car. Um, and she had just gotten, uh, I know a ghost on CD because we're old and we still buy CDs <laughs> and that's how we like to listen to music. And they sound better. better Go ahead. <laughs> and so, uh, we get in the car, she's got the album on and I got to say, man, I was like really impressed with that record because I thought so much of my experience, a lot of times when I hear Christian music, I'll go, Oh, that's good. It kind of sounds like so-and-so. And, you know, I, I can think of like a uh, secular music counterpoint, you know, and to me, that record, I heard it and I listened to the whole album and then it was just kind of in her car for a while. So we listened to it a bunch and, and I'm like, this, what I like about this is it sounds like, this sounds like David Crowder. This sounds like hmm. an artist being themselves. It doesn't sound like an artist going, oh, here's my nod to, to this or hmm. that. I mean, it's eclectic and you bring in a lot of like musical mm. styles but i think that what surprised me while we were preparing for this interview is that there was a bunch of producers on that record and to me that record sounds really unified and i noticed that mm. um you produced um the title track uh but there were a lot of other producers on the record as well and and i was surprised by you know the just how it all hung together really well and i'm curious uh, sometimes you're credited as producer. Sometimes, really more often than not, you're not credited as producer, but you, you never know what that really means behind the scenes, you know? So I'm curious. This like, is my favorite question. I, I almost <laughs> teared up just now. Um, that is yeah, my favorite I mean, question I've ever been asked. Um, how did, you're just, it's, this question is a journey. You're like, where's this question going? But <laughs> I'm crying. Too I know the question. <laughs> but, but, you know, when you're in the studio bringing these songs that you've written to life, how involved are you in the, the sonics of, of how they come to life and how they come across? Like all of it. Like, um, and so I, I do, as you probably picked up on, like, I'm not, I'm not as concerned about like who, who, uh, ah, how to say this right. Uh, for instance, right before we got on this podcast, I got done with a conversation with Josh, who's my A&R guy at, at UMG and right now what everybody's trying to figure out is Atmos, Dolby Atmos, you know, this spatial audio yeah. situation, okay? Um, I nerd out about this, and I'm, like, telling him <laughs> that, okay, Apple Music, when you upload it to it for spatial audio, it's going to take whatever your original file is, and it's going to boost around between 250 and 280, and, of course, that's doubling, so you could drop, you could scoop, with whatever mix you send to Apple at such and such places. And then also the high end is a little less hype. So you're going to want to probably boost around 1K just a little bit and make make sure that the hype's still there. Title, totally different scene. But I'm like, I'm, I'm going through all of the platforms with this Atmos stuff uh, and, and comparative to like what. So I like super nerd out about all of this stuff. Um, which is why when when you're asking a question like I know a ghost, if you rewind the conversation, that's the third album in that sequence of uh, of a record contract, and so it's when I when I'm I'm hopefully taking the things I've learned and then uh, making something that's just like uh, now I'm gonna just 
see where we can go with the stuff I've learned so far. And it's mm. mostly dumb music nerdy stuff, but to do a album of that length and with so many different people, um, I, I do feel like I'm fairly a part of the whole process. <laughs> I guess is that how to say it in yeah. a nice way. I nerd out on that stuff and I love it. It's so much fun. Like that's like yeah. so much fun. It's like, I love it. You know, we, we tend to look at these, um, interviews and, and we can kind of see a career as almost like bullet points. You know, you, you'll see like, these are the high points. These are the awards. These are the chart placements. And I'm looking at it and it, it reads just like a litany of successes. And I see Grammy here and I see Dove there and I see million here and I see number one there. Um, I'm curious for you. These are all such different metrics. You could look at streaming numbers. You could look at, at radio play. You could look at, at awards. We all have our different measures of success. Um, and I know, particularly in, in a ministry-oriented style of music, success means something very, very different in terms of the, what the music means to people yeah. and how it expresses your faith. But just in terms of just sort of a tangible award chart placement type of thing, what, which things do you look at and say, oh, we did it? it does it come from radio or streaming or is it the awards or, or what is it? <laughs> I don't know. That's a great. I don't know. Um <laughs> I honestly don't know. I I I don't think I mean I think you can probably ask any artist about all of those things and you know you can argue that they're either very meaningful because of a particular thing. I love I mean I love that when you're working hard at something people recognize it and they're like, "Man, that you know, you're in the you're in the group of people that are working hard at something." But yeah. when the when when you like walk away for with a gram like if you can have a the weekend like going i'm not a part of the grammys anymore it's like you you're like <laughs> making the biggest you know it's like totally. he, if he can make an argument that this is a, a a meaningless award yeah it's not that's not true but i get what you feel um but i also can't like put all of my um validation in something that you know right. you can see from so many different vantage points I, I i you know the the when i get the most happy about what i'm doing is when i have good friends go you know hit me up on a text like you know the, especially with this last album that you know the milk and honey album because nobody knew what i was up to like you said normally you can kind of be doing the songs live and and working yeah. through them and they kind of develop and and by the time you're done with it uh, most of your you know, close peer sets heard, heard them. Um, this was like a surprise for everybody. And so it's, it's, it's incredibly meaningful when a friend that you know well, and you've been with through out all of life and they text you and go, bro, this song just annihilated me. Like, mm. this is like ridiculous. Like, uh, I don't even know what to do with my, that, that part is that I don't know that there's a better I think that's why we do this. Like that's what you're trying to do. It's like I'm trying to say yeah. something for for the people I know, and then when they say something back that is thoughtful and means that you connect it, it's it's like uh, ain't 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 nothing you can put on your shelf that that beats yeah. that right there. I don't think. Hmm. And I realize the inherent awkwardness in the question. I'm like, hey, tell me how much you love awards. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I no, but I also don't want to dis. I I I I think that they're super amazing. To, like I said, like to know that you're a part of a group of people that are trying to make great stuff, and you're working yeah. hard at your deal and your craft. And and I I I, I 
I don't I I I find that very meaningful as well. But I I don't think any of that beats beats when somebody you know says that just that did it for me right there. Yeah. Hmm. You know, looking at kind of where you are with Milk and Honey versus where you started as a guy in a local church who's writing songs expressly for the purpose of other people being able to to sing along to them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, now your, a lot of your music is, is pretty sophisticated. Some of it's very sing-along and some of it's more sit and listen to. And I'm curious if your view of yourself as a, as a writer um, has transformed from those early days. Do you still think of the music, for instance, on Milk and Honey as these songs are designed for corporate singing you know this is a group Mm. experience or have you come to to view yourself as uh straddling a line as as both artist and worship leader and those two things kind of sit next to each other definitely uh what you just described like i i'm aware i i think that if we look back on the solo stuff what i'm typically doing is probably given three or four that i think can can be very uh, accessible in a corporate sense, but then the rest of it is sort of helping facilitate and and uh, under underscore and uh, announce further what those things are that I was saying um, that yeah. I think can be more communal. Um, so yeah, I, I it has definitely changed. And it, looking backwards, when it's like, hey, you're just the church band, you play every week, and these are the songs y'all play every week, and then now now hit the red button and record them. That's a different thing than at this point with the uh, Crowder thing. It's more, um, okay, there are a few things I I know I want to say with my church community, but also, like, here's the season we've been in, and I know these people will probably be able to participate and be moved by stuff that's announcing further what our life experience was together, um, which mm-hmm. is not necessarily um, church music, corporate liturgy, and the intentionality is a little different then. Yeah, yeah. But then, like, the good God Almighty thing, I didn't think that was going to be, like, a church song at all. Like, I was like, hmm. this is one of those songs that I'm just saying something about our experience that we've been through <laughs> as a global, you know, like, we just went through some crap together, and yeah. now I think I, we can say something that might be, but I didn't think that was going to be a church song, and bizarrely, the church is singing it really a lot. And yeah. That's a surprise to me. So I love that too. When you think you know what you're doing, and it turns out you had no clue, that's the best. Tell me, is he good? He's good. Tell me, is he God? He's God. He is good, God Almighty. Praise him in the morning. Praise him in the noontime. Praise him when the sun goes down. Love him in the morning. Love him in the noontime. Love him when the sun goes down. I've even thought about that with like, I'm leaning on you from your last record. Um, my wife brought that to, to our church. I still don't know if that's really like a church right. song. Uh, but you know, I, I love that melody. I think the melody is 
amazing and we just keep doing it because i'm like oh, i like this song so let's oh, wow. let's just keep keep doing this but I, I i sort of see some bewildered faces out there sometimes like <laughs> i'm not sure i can hang with this melody right. on the <laughs> yeah you know totally and uh, yeah <laughs> right so yeah it is there, there's a there's a gray area you know what what necessarily is going to work in group singing and what's not and, and sometimes you can't predict it that's the truth man you know some of my favorite songs and i bet a lot of uh, folks that are writers and stuff that like could identify it's like my f- some of my favorite songs are the ones that like you look back and you're like okay I don't feel like I had anything to do with that like it just sort of happened mm. and then it huh. is it takes on a life of its own like I like this was not calculated or in the intentionality I'm not I'm not smart enough to do this and those are the those are my favorite that have happened throughout my brief time doing it yeah well, and w- when you look at, um, you know, with Milk and Honey, as with many of your albums, you know, there's a a, uh, a lot of co-writers. Uh, you you kind of have a stable of people that you you keep working with, but it's True. not like just two people. I mean, it's it's a small group, but it's it is a, quite a few people. And I'm curious for you, as you say, there there are those songs that just kind of, you know, uh, they just come. You know, it's just inspiration, but. Um, in terms of your co-writing, do you have a particular discipline? Like, do you book appointments with people in order to to force yourself to write, or do you just kind of wait for inspiration <laughs> to strike? What's your personal discipline? That is so great, man. I'm definitely in the if the wind's blowing, it's going to work out kind of deal. Like, I uh, the people that are close to me and want like records to get done in time and that kind of stuff, they're so frustrated because I. I'm more like, well, if they're around, you know, I was just in town today. I'm going to hit them up and see if they're around. (laughs) That's not how I could do this. (laughs) Right. You know, so I think a lot of what's been awesome to me um, over the, at least the the solo uh, Crowder situation has been um, I've connected really deeply with a bunch of writers that, that, you know, they've got a calendar. They're like, they're writing the greatest songs every day is what it feels like. And then... I've happened to get to pop in and um and it feels like a feels like going to school almost. It, I feel I feel more for me it's like I feel a collector. I I feel like I can't tell you if I can write a good song on a Wednesday at 10:30. But <laughs> I know that I can collect a lot of things that really are moving to me and and I, I can come with a bucket of stuff on that on Wednesday at 10:30 mm. and I'm going to have a lot of things that are like right here that mean a lot and and um and so I try to pay attention and I feel like that's how I, that's how I can bring a, a, a my voice or my particular vantage point to the songwriting situation is that I've been working the whole time and I've been really disciplined at it and it's just i i feel like a collector i've got a little pail um mm. I, you know a pail p-a-i-l my east texas <laughs> makes it hard to tell what you're saying but uh like it's like uh, I've, I've got a little bucket i'm walking around with and i'm putting stuff in it and then when we get together i'm gonna start pulling some things out and let's see if anything like connects in the room that particular day and hopefully something good will come from it well, I, I actually say something similar to that to like younger writers when I say, hey, look, you have this appointment at Wednesday at 1030. You don't know if it's going to rain. So you might as well collect rain on a day when it does. So you bring <laughs> some water to that session. You know, there like you if, go. if it's raining, put the bucket out, just like you're talking about that bucket, because <laughs> you, you might need <laughs> it one day it. you show up dry on Wednesday. Um, 
you know, when you talk about that, and you guys talk about this, you know, these sessions, these groups of writers, I'm, I'm looking through the credits of Milk and Honey and just seeing great writers and great people. Um, and thinking about a year of isolation like 2020, mm. and for me, uh, even being at my house, the community that I found, I get up in the morning and go fire up Zoom <laughs> and write with some <laughs> of my favorite writers in Nashville, it provided a lot for me in, yeah. in terms of friendship and in terms of just, yeah, just that sense of community. Um, and then you've got these these features, you know, with the Maverick City guys, um, you know, Sweet Jesus and with Dante Bow and on uh, God Really Loves Us. And I'd just love to hear from you about sort of what, not just the, you know, what you guys created, but sort of the, the community that creating this record provided you in a year of isolation? Man, um, since the last thing you mentioned was like Dante and the and the Maverick City thing, like I just, here's what, as a person that's been, like I, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing if I wouldn't have, you know, just been trying to help out with the church. And, and when I started helping out with the church, it was very difficult to find music that was current and, and, and like vibrant and would, a college student would be like, that's my jam right there. It was, it was like impossible. And so that's how we kind of got going in this whole thing. And especially, I, I think you made reference earlier in, in that a lot of what um, has, I guess the public has known of Christian music is that, you know, if you like Blink-182, you're going to love so-and-so. If you like, you know, if you like Rage Against the Machine, you're going to love so-and-so. Um, right. And it was, it felt like a, a, a facsimile in a sense of what was happening within pop culture. And with with this current, like the last year and a half of what we've been through as a collective of humans, uh, that's another thing that I think would it, it blows my mind as like somebody that's supposed to write songs and that's like what you're think you're supposed to be doing. You've never had, uh, you've never had this where we've all, we've all got a vantage point that's very similar, you know, like we, mm-hmm. we all went through this together. That's crazy, yeah. you know, and especially when it's something so traumatic, like, you know, psychologists and sociologists will tell you that you bond over danger like in dangerous situations like if you all go you know four-wheeling together there's a deep bond that forms because you survive that's a funny image but yes (laughs) you know what i'm saying two guys in all of likely (laughs) yeah all of humanity goes four-wheeling together um yeah you know what i'm talking about you know totally right you get on you know four-wheeler down you know downtown and uh do some (laughs) pop some wheelies and that kind of thing um but you survive and you're like man that was a crazy night right and and there's like a deep bonding well we we now as a a writer you're writing from a, a a foundation that you know is ubiquitous to everyone like we Mm. all went through this that's that's a crazy thought so that kind of freaked yeah. me out a little bit, um, and and as well, um, what I I loved about, I uh, guess what you know, Mav City and and what's happening in church music is it feels the for the first time that I've been doing this, which is you know as you said, uh, it's it's a long legacy. <laughs> I, I forgot the years you were saying, but I'm like, oh, like crap, I'm old. Um, <laughs> but it's like, it's like I feel like the the music of the church is modeling and it sounds more futuristic than what the conversations are socially. It's Mm. like 
church music is ahead of the curve for the first time that I've been around and doing this. It's like, don't tell me how it, what it means to like get along racially. Watch this. Yeah. Listen to this song, and you're like, oh, didn't like that. <laughs> that that looks pretty mm-hmm. much like what what I'd hope for, you know, in everyday yeah. life. And it sounds like what I'd hope for in everyday life. And the things that you're singing out loud sound like what would be aspirational for everyday life. So I I couldn't be a bigger fan of what's happening with Map City and and Dante and and uh, and Dante's just a part of that. But I I knew early on. Uh, when I first started writing, I just love his voice so much, and I I kept paying attention to like different songs that he was a contributor on, and I'm like, this dude is just fire, man. I gotta I gotta get in a room with him, and it it just as uh, per Zoom calls and stuff, it just wasn't working out. I wanted to be in the in the room, and it's like the last week. The record is supposed to be turned in, mastered on a Friday. And me and him have been trying to connect for the whole entire time, it feels like. And then he's like, Sunday before the Friday, hey, uh, after church, I can come by. I'm like, okay. <laughs> like, it's too late, but that's great. And then he comes by, and he's only here for like an hour and a half. And I'm like, that, 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 was, that, was, a, that was an experience. And, <laughs> and after he's already gone, like, and it's like, I, I got to go. I'm like, we just sort of got here. It's like, okay. Anyway, so super great being in the room with you. And then um, after he left, I think we, it was almost simultaneously, we started listening to the voice memos. And I was like, this could, this, this is thick. And, and um, I was like, can you come back tomorrow and sing a vocal? This is after trying to get him over for a whole, you know, <laughs> year and a half. And he's right. like, yeah, I'll be over in the morning. And Maverick City actually has a writing camp, which I think is just crazy to think about. Like, they do their writing in a way that I haven't ever seen done before. But they had a writing camp, and and I'm like, he's busier than he's ever been for the past year and a half. He comes by, sings a vocal to, like, a, a crap, <laughs> you know, piano scratch track that you know put together and and uh and by friday we've turned in a master of this song that i it's my favorite on the whole thing moved by the conversation around the song lyrics that were happening on it and and how um it's it's a choral moment it's like basically just piano a b3 and people singing together and i love that the words harmony and unison i've said this for the whole uh roll out of this record but that was those two words were in my head when we when we started on this milk and honey thing it's like Harmony and unison are musical words, and goodness gracious, if we couldn't somehow get more of that amongst us on the day to day, and it's amazing to make a make a uh, a musical um, recording of of what that just looks like and sounds like and feels like. Well said. 
Well, the new record is called Milk and Honey, and uh, I challenge our listeners to get in your car and listen to Good God Almighty and not roll down the windows. It's one of those kind of songs, uh, feel good, uh, amazing uh, single. So uh, thank you so much, David, for spending some time with us today talking about your process, and uh, we've, we've covered a lot of ground, and it's, it's really been some great insight uh, into your music, and we thank you for your time. Y'all are awesome. I love what you're doing, and thank you for including me. It's amazing. Thanks for listening. We'd love to stay connected with you, so please take a moment to subscribe to Songcraft via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice. If you like the show, we ask you to consider rating us and leaving us a good review. Word of mouth is important, and letting other potential listeners know what you think of the show helps us tremendously. You can also sign up for our email list at songcraftshow.com and find out how to help support us at patreon.com slash songcraftshow. And you can follow us on social media by searching for Songcraft Conversations on Instagram and Songcraft Show on Facebook and Twitter. And finally, be sure to check out our friends at the American Songwriter Podcast Network at americansongwriter.com. Thanks, as always, for listening and for your support.